0: Yeah, I don't know. Is it? Is it coming out of the... I have a big enough voice, but uh, it needs to be coming out of the speakers so people can hear me online. I'm so proud. You guys probably have no clue, but I'm so proud of Josh and what he has gone through to be up here this morning. Yeah, he is sick as a dog. And it started out the morning in heavy nauseousness and then that, we, that subsided, we prayed, and then, if you notice, he was wearing a coat up here, because he was so cold. Are you cold still? No, now I'm burning up. Okay. <laughs> Alright, well, we, we prayed for him to get warmer, now let's pray for him to cool down. No, but that, that is an example of a warrior. That's an example of a passionate drive for Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for Him. How often do we go through this life, do we fight through this life being sold out for Christ in pursuing relationship with Him? How often do we come to a time of incredible victory only to realize shortly thereafter This feeling of discouragement. You know, a week ago Friday, on Good Friday, we had a service here and and we had an amazing time of victory. There were so many things that were victorious that night. And yet, just days later, I myself, and I talked to so many people, just just felt this discouragement come across. And I, and I know you've felt this in the past. I've felt it in the past where where you hit this, this pinnacle of something you've been working toward or something you've been praying so hard for. And then it comes, and there's tremendous victory, not taking anything away from the victory, but it's almost like, oh, what now? And the discouragement can set in. You know, different things set in. I was asking the Lord about that this week and, and, and what that means, why that happens. You know, what we're to do when that happens and, and just praying all week, Lord, just give me some sort of word for them that would encourage, that, that would perhaps even tell us why. Because I'm right where you're at. I, I'm not coming from a place of, oh, I know why. Let, let me sit down and tell you why. Okay? I'm coming from that same place. That same place Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of discouragement. Where, where then I, I go and I put my mind on something else that can distract me from that discouragement. For me, it's building. Building. That's why a little shed has become a big shed. <laughs> it's become the shed in the which I'm convinced will never be done. <clears throat> Although it is dried in, so I'm really glad about that. I could sit in there and not get wet. Amen. But in that discouragement, we seek distraction. We seek something to just make us feel like, like, okay, we're, 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 we're not missing the boat. We're not missing something. And so I was praying, and, and it's interesting. And I, I've told you before how he doesn't give me ahead of time what he wants me to speak on. So I was praying last night and asking him to just just give me something, give me something. And in the shower, which is I don't know why uh, that seems to be where things happen a lot. Maybe maybe, maybe uh, some of you sing. Right? In the shower, and everybody's really good singer in the shower, right? I, I, I don't know. I, I envision things. I, I, my mind just goes a million different places. And last night in the shower, the Lord told me there are three, three reasons why that happens. And it's a very normal thing, but there are three reasons, three things that you can understand in expectation of that happening based on where your life is. And he gave me some examples of that. I want to share with you this morning. Now, you may not find yourself in each one of these. I didn't find myself in each one of these, but there were times where I could, I could understand where i was based on these examples that he gave i want you to first turn to exodus chapter 14 the first way that we're discouraged in victory is when that discouragement is is really based out of our selfishness and so often this is the case when when we have an idea of what we want for our lives We have an idea of the path that God has us on in our lives. And he veers us off that path because his will is different than ours. And, And all of a sudden, we're not computing with his will. We're not understanding that the very path he has placed us on was for our good and for his intent. And not what we thought was his intent. Exodus chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading at verse 9. Now th- this is, just to give you a little backstory here, this is the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Okay, there were 10 miracles that had just happened. Moses had performed 10 miracles. God performed them through him to literally get Pharaoh to let him go. To get him out of there. And it was, you guys know the story, it was this long elongated battle, this fight, and finally he let him go. And and the moment he let him go, what what'd Pharaoh say? Oops. <laughs> what in the world did I just do? I let him go. Let's begin ber- reading in verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them. Okay, all, all of Israel that had left. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's hor- Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea at the sea by Heroth in front of belzebon okay those are fun <laughs> verse 10 when pharaoh drew near the people of israel lifted up their eyes and behold the egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of israel cried out to the lord they said to moses it is because there are no is it because there are no graves in egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have rather been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in Egypt. They were literally... Discouraged because of their own selfishness, because of their own fear of what they thought would happen to them now that they left. Now recognize, I, I don't know about you, I read the Old, old Testament and, and I go through it so often, it drives me insane though. It, I don't know why it draws me back to it, but it, I, I just read and I'm reading about Israel and I'm, I'm just, no, 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 no. Oh, they did it again. <laughs> It's like, maybe if I read it this time, they won't do that, but they do. And, and yet, how often do we do the same thing? Oh, I, I can just imagine the Lord, no, 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 oh, he did it again. And that's what Israel did. They, they reacted in fear. They reacted out of their own need. Recognizing that their own existence was more important to them than the God that they had chosen to serve. The God that they had always believed would come and rescue them, by the way. There had been prophecy after prophecy of Him rescuing them. So when it actually came time for them to be rescued, their reaction was fear. They were afraid. I want you to turn to Numbers. So many of the examples coming out of the children of Israel before they get to the, uh, get to the promised land. Numbers chapter 20. And, and this is another example of this discouragement because of selfishness. Numbers 20, verse 2. We're going to be uh, begin at verse 2 and go through verse 5. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought us, brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness? First of all, recognize, they understand they're the assembly of God. How crazy is that? They understand that they're God's chosen people. and And they say, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? That we should die here. Both we and our cattle. And why have you made us Come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. How often in our own lives does God take us in a pathway to where there seems to be no provision? How often have you come up to a mortgage or to a payment or to a school payment, or to a test, or whatever. You've come up to a place where it's beyond your capability to handle, and you think, what in the world got me here? How did I get here? I can't handle this. This place is evil. This mortgage, it's evil. God, I shouldn't have an evil mortgage. How did I get to this place? I just lost my job. I can't deal with this. How do I deal with this? Do we cry out and say, why did you do this, God? Or do we say, you did this, God, so it's on you. Wow, what a paradigm difference. What a paradigm difference to, to say, Lord, you're the one that led me down this path. I, at the beginning, said that I placed it in your hands, so I'm not taking it back. If this fails, Lord, it's because you want it to fail. Because I know you're not a failure. I trust you in stepping down this path. I trust you in this this thing that is absurd that it can be done. But yet, that's not what the children of Israel said. They could have gone to Moses and Aaron. Think of what they could have done. They could have gone... Understanding all the miracles that it, now now remember not just the miracles in Egypt to get them out of Egypt, but now they've been through the parting of the Red Sea. I don't know about you, but if I saw something that like that in my life, I would think it would stick with me, right? Or the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, the literal presence of God. You know, that, that, that was with them and, and now they're getting thirsty. They're in the desert. They're getting thirsty. There's no water. Why would their reaction be, Hey, would you bring us, would you bring us here to die? You brought us here to die. Are you that evil of a God? Are you that evil that you would want to see your, your assembly? They recognize that be in pain. All they could have said was, it's on you. God, you've brought us here. It's on you. It's not my fault if I die of thirst. It's not my fault if I die in this desert. Why? Because you brought me here. You brought me to this desert. And not saying that without with ill intent, but really saying that, Lord, if you want me to die here, Okay, it's on you. My life is yours. You purchased it. You purchased it. In our case, he purchased it with his son's blood. But they didn't. They reacted out of their own selfishness. Their discouragement and fear came out of their own selfishness. Wait a second. You said it'd be better. Moses, you said it'd be better. This isn't better. We have no water. This isn't better. We have no food. It's a desert. We live in tents. And by the way, that's only cool when you go to creation. <laughs> Other than that, you probably want to live in a house. Right? They 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 could have reacted differently. How often do we do the same thing? When we step into a situation that, that we know God has led us into, And it's tough. It's like we think in our minds, God is, if God's really leading it, then, then it's all good. It's all good. I'll tell you what, if that's the case, then Paul needs a refund on his life. Because he said that Jesus said every time he would go into the, into a new city, the Holy Spirit would tell him what was going to happen to him. I'm not sure what's worse. The fact that you know something's going to happen to you, or the fact that you know it's in this city. I would think I would walk right by. Okay, Lord, let's save that one to last. So see, it's not this life of ease, this life of plenty, this life of, of full provision in a physical sense that God promises and and it drives me insane. Those, the, the preachers that preach that, the health and wealth situation. Well, if you just follow God, then you'll be healthy and wealthy. And is it healthy, wealthy and wise? I don't know. I, I, it, it, there's a major disconnect there. You can't see that anywhere in the Word of God. Because the promises that they claim can be applied, but they're applied when we're with Him. They're applied in the next life when we are with Him. When we're not with Him, when we're in this body, and when when we're on this earth, we have a job to do. What's that job? Get to know Him. Get to know Him. Draw into relationship with Him draw into intimacy with Him so we can have our hearts knit together with His. Now for some of us, that looks different than others. It doesn't mean that He doesn't meet our needs because He promises to. We're the ones that kind of get in the way of that. But He just wants us to understand that this life, like I talked about last week, In the weeks before, this life is about getting to know him through this avenue of faith. That's all this life is about. And letting him work through us. Letting him do his will. But their reaction was, wait, I don't have, so this must not be right. We have to be careful when we look at our lives that way. This isn't going how I planned. Something's wrong. God, what is wrong? Nothing may be wrong. He may be just saying, I just need you to react and ask for some water. That's all they had to do. All they had to say is, God, you parted the sea. You got us out of Egypt with ten miracles. You led us by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, certainly you could provide some water for us. Please, Lord. And what do you think he would have done? Here you go. And then perhaps Moses wouldn't have been frustrated and struck the rock and ended up not going into the promised land. You see, there's a lot of things that kind of happen when we react wrong. When we react in this place of no faith or lack of faith. Just go another another chapter and go to chapter twenty-one. <laughs> chapter twenty-one, we're gonna gonna read at verse one, and I, and I want you to understand the the victory that happens here, and then immediately the reaction. When the Canaanite The king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atherim. He fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites. And they devoted them and their cities to destruction, so the name of the place was called Horma. Now understand what's going on here. Okay, we read it, and it, we read it in about 30 seconds, and we, we kind of minimalize what's really happening. Because it's just a quick story. But understand what happened. They had some of their people come and be literally kidnapped, little, literally taken by the Canaanites. And and they properly went to the Lord and said, Lord, wait a second, we're your people. You are our protection. And they were taken captive. Let us go and take them over and we will devote them to destruction. In other words, we will destroy everything in their cities because they do not follow you. And the Lord says, okay, I'll do it. They made a covenant together. And Israel followed through and they did it. They went and they destroyed all the cities. This great battle that they had, this incredible victory that they had, they get back the people that were taken. The Lord shows His hand in such an awesome form of power. This huge victory. Imagine that. This, this huge victory. But then let's read on. Verse four: From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea, so to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up from e- out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no no water, and we loathe this worthless food. That's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. When, when you give your life to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I will follow you in anything. Just be with me. Just be with us. Which is what they cried out when they were in Egypt. What do you think God heard when He heard the cries of Israel? He heard that they wanted to be saved from Egypt. He came and he did it. And because of their own selfishness, their their own feeling of their own lives, how they thought it should be, they complained. And they said again, why have you taken us out of here? You want us to die here? Why have you taken us out? So this first idea is being discouraged because of selfishness. This last one came after an incredible victory. An amazing victory. And yet they felt discouraged afterwards because of their own fear. And it says here because of their own impatience. How often do we become impatient with God doing His work? And, and I gotta tell you, It doesn't seem like he does things very fast. Right? I mean, we've been at church now three and a half years. Waiting for him to do the things he has told us he's going to do, prophesied that he's going to do, it's easy to become impatient. But look at it from God's perspective. God's saying, wait a second, I I told you I was going to do this. But see, what we don't see is what God sees, that there needs to be things in place first. There needs to be things in our heart that are in place. Reactions in our heart that are in place. So we don't react like this. So we don't react out of selfishness. So we don't react out of, out of our environment controlling who we are and what we think. That takes time. Paradigm's take a long time to change. They really do. Took 25 years for me. (laughs) It just takes a while. And when God works in our hearts, He promises to do that work. He promises to do that pure work and to provide all throughout that work. But He never lays out that it'll be easy. He never lays out that it's going to be exactly how we think it's going to be. So are we going to react in impatience? Are we going to react and, and after these tremendous victories that we have, and we have had so many, by the way, are we going to react in discouragement because of impatience or discouragement because of confusion, discouragement because of our own selfishness? The next one the Lord highlighted to me was Elijah. I want you to turn there. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. This is so much harder when you shake. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to just begin reading at the beginning. But what this is, just to give you a little bit of background again here, this is just after Elijah goes and defeats the 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, and you know this story. Okay, it's Elijah, one guy, and he says, he's gather all of your prophets. Make sure they're all there. Gather them all around. And, and you build your altar. I'll build my altar. You put a, 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 a cow on there. I'll put one on mine. You know, you, you do yours. You call to your God and see if he comes and consumes that. And then when that didn't happen, of course, he teased them. I love that. Does that give us permission? I don't know. He loved that. He was even crass, which I love even more. Where is your God? Is He behind the tree going to the bathroom? That's what He, literally what He says. So he, he, after all this, and then they couldn't, they're cutting themselves, they're, they're sacrificing, they're crying out, they're doing whatever, and their God, Baal, does nothing. Why? By the way, because He was bound. He couldn't. Because the presence of God was there. The presence of God was strong in Elijah. So, so then it was Elijah's turn. He said, you know what? Pour, pour some water on it. No, not enough. Let, let's pour some more water on it. Let's really soak it down. And then he calls for the Lord. And, and he didn't have to do some long, elongated calling out. He simply calls on the Lord. The Lord sends fire down from heaven, consumes that offering. <laughs> And takes care of a few of the prophets too. Because they were a little close to that fire. But then when that was done. Elijah says gather the rest of the prophets of Baal. Takes them down to the shore and he kills them all with the sword. Huge victory. Huge victory. 450 prophets of Baal. All the prophets of Baal in that, that place that were gone were dead. Imagine how he must have felt. God worked through him in such a strong, strong way. So, so from there, he just goes on to more victory, right? Nope. No, let's, let's look and see how he felt. Verse 1. And, and by the way, this is a discouragement because he could not see the prophecy that he had, or they could not see the prophecy that he had told them. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Discouraged because he was afraid and felt alone. In this, Elijah, coming off of this victory, said, comes in verse 1, says, Ahab told Jezebel, we've all heard about Jezebel, Ahab's wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. By the way, Jezebel was the one who who was the encouragement of of worshiping Baal. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this day tomorrow. Talking about all those 450 prophets that have been killed. Even the ones all slain with with uh, the sword. Look at... His reaction, Elijah, verse 3, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself, after leaving his his servant there, he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under a broom tree. And began, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. That happened twice. So he could be strengthened. See, his reaction was fear because he had this this incredible victory. And it took a lot out of him. It took everything out of him. So much so that that when this happened and Jezebel said, By this day, tomorrow, this time tomorrow, I will have you killed like you killed them. Fear struck him. It's hard to say why. It's hard to say why Elijah was one of the greatest prophets. Elijah, who walked in the power of God, who had just come off an amazing victory. This wasn't months later. This was the next day. He stood in fear. In reality, why was he afraid? Let's take a worst case scenario. Let's say she was able to kill him. He knew where he was going. So why was he afraid? It was because he was depleted... And he did not have the support of somebody else. In fact, that's what he talks about later. Let's go down to verse 9. This is after he got some food in him. Got a little strength. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I only, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And then he goes through this process to hear God. And, and we won't read through the whole thing, but he goes through this process. Is, is God in the wind? Is God in the earthquake? No, he he's in... This sound of a low whisper. Verse 13, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Zephat of Abel Mola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elisha passed him and cast his cloak upon him. And it goes on to talk about the anointing of Elisha. But recognize what just happened. See, his response was out of fear. His response was out of depletion. He had allowed himself to become depleted to the point where the fear overtook him. And in his mind, there was no one else. No one else that that could be there with him arm in arm. See, God understands that we're just flesh. That's why in John 15, Jesus said, "As is, it is important, it is critical, it is number one for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. But you've got to love each other the same. He said, love each other as I have loved you, Jesus said to his disciples. Why? So things like this don't happen. See, we are our brother's keeper. We have a responsibility to be with our brothers in their life. Because if we're not, a fear can arise up from them being alone. A fear can rise up in your own life when you shut everybody else out. That's what happened to Elijah. And, and, and look at this. The Lord didn't even answer him. When, when he said, woe is me and blah, 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 and I am alone and, and just let me die. What was the Lord's response? Okay. All right. Well, I need you to go do this and this and this and anoint Elijah because he's going to take your place. You know, God didn't say, oh, come on, it'll be, we got a better day tomorrow. Come on, guy, hang in there. He didn't say that. Why? Because Elisha, or Elijah had already been through those battles. He already understood the power of God. And yet, because he allowed fear to come in, it literally destroyed his confidence. How often do we do that? When God has us on a plan, He has us going a specific way, and, and we go through victories, but then we go through these times where we feel like nobody understands. Right? Nobody can understand what I'm going through right now. I'm dealing with this all alone, and nobody understands. Yeah, you got to understand, but but you're not talking to me. I'm, I'm facing this thing by myself, and fear begins to set in. That fear, thinking that you're in this fight by yourself. Now, God honored what Elijah said, and he literally. Begins to bring him, this is the beginning of the end of Elijah's career. It didn't end there, but this was the beginning of where he starts training Elisha to take over. But he also reminded him, you're not alone. You're not the only one that has not bowed your knee to Baal. There are many others. There's always a remnant. But see, we need to understand that we need each other. We need to understand that that this family, the family of Christ, the bride, we're critical to each other's survival. Jesus said that. Otherwise, He wouldn't have said, love each other like I've loved you. He said, I need you to come together. I need you to learn to trust each other. I need you to love each other because you will be in strength together because when this one's weak, this one will be strong. Because God is speaking to all. He infuses all. But when we let something get in the way that we can't quite see... He says, okay, that's why I have these people around you. They can see. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be discouraged. You can fight that off. See, Elijah could have fought that off. How could he have responded? Lord, Lord, are there any others? Instead of stating that there weren't, asking, Lord, are there others? I need fellowship. I need people. You know I'm just but dust. You know I'm human. I need this. I need this fellowship. Why? Because he's ordained it. Instead, he reacts in fear. Now that I'm not saying that to take away from his life or to anything he did. Oh, that we would have a life like his. That we would have the fruits but he had but understand that there's a power that does not manifest when you have to live this path by yourself it's that team it's that that family that really brings that to pass so again there's a discouragement because of selfishness there's a discouragement because of fear and recognizing that you're alone. And the last one is a discouragement because we cannot see what God has told us. I want you to turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And this is, we're, we're going to begin reading at verse 49. But this is when Jesus is near the end of his ministry here on earth. And he's already told all his disciples, he's told them what's going to happen. Right? He's told them that he'll be betrayed. He told them the night before, literally the night before. It wasn't like he said, you know, six months ago, hey, by the way, you know, sometime in the future soon. <laughs> Soon it's going to happen. And then they wait six months. Now that It wasn't like that. He told them the night before. He said, I will be betrayed. And he told them that he was going to be killed. He told them that he would rise again. He told them about all that. He told them literally what they would do after that point. What they would do was going to be incredible. It was going to reach the world. That this was not going to be the end. He told them all this. He shared with them what his kingdom was going to look like. He shared with them the power behind it. He shared them all these amazing, amazing things. But then the betrayal actually comes. Right? Let's start reading in verse 49. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. And that was Judas, we all know. Although he was literally possessed with Satan at this point. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on him. On Jesus and seized him, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus, which we know is Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And, and by the way, let me, let me insert something here real quick. Earlier, you know, as Jesus is talking about all this stuff that's gonna happen, you know, Peter and, and the rest of the disciples say, well, we need to gather swords. We need to fight. We need to be ready. And he said, well, what what do we have? And Peter said, we have this one sword. And Jesus said, that'll be enough. What What do you think he was thinking in his mind? See, Jesus knew that the very thing that would happen at his abduction would produce a miracle to those who are abducting him in the first place. And all it would require is one sword. So that's all you need. See, in their mind, they're thinking, no, we gotta fight because your kingdom is now. And Jesus said, no, they just don't get it, do they, Lord? So what happens? Jesus said to him, put your back, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Wow. Talk about a statement of faith. Talk about a statement of power. You know, Peter, why do you think I told you you only need one sword? It's because I don't need your sword. I could call down twelve legions of angels, and do you think they could take care of this man? Do you think they could take care of all of Rome? Do you think they could take care of everything? Sure. It was literally within His power to speak it and it be done. What a testimony. See, we often think Jesus came and He lived this life to go through the Lord's will, to be put on a cross, hang, and, 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 and it was all just set for Him. We think that he couldn't have changed it if he wanted to. That's so untrue. He said it right here. Don't you think I could? Don't you think I could change it if I wanted to? That's what Satan tempted him with at the beginning of his ministry. Takes him on, on to this high pinnacle and he says, jump down! Because... The Lord will send angels to protect you. What do you think Jesus' reaction to that was? No, no, I I don't, it's kind of high, I'm not gonna do, no. He knew they would. What Jesus understood is that he had to live that life as a man because he had become a man. He had to live in a way that we would understand. See, he could not do anything as God. He could not do anything to thwart the will of God. And that's what he says in the next verse. But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He said, if, if I were to do that, the Scriptures would not be fulfilled. The prophecy would not be fulfilled. All the things I told you was going to happen... It wouldn't be fulfilled. Verse 55. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come against us as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this had taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And this is the last part I want you to get. Then all the disciples fled. All these disciples who had devoted their lives to him, Peter, who who just the day before had said, "I will give you everything. I'll give you my life." And, and by the way, he even proved it. What do you think was going through his mind when he when he cut off the ear of that soldier? Do you think he was going to be like Samson and just kill them all and? Maybe. I don't know. I think he was defending his best friend. And I, I honestly don't think he was thinking. But now, now that Jesus gave into it, and now all of a sudden it looks different than what they think it's going to look like, he changed. They all did. Because it said they all left him. They all left. This Jesus, who they had been tied to for so long now, had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Victory after victory after victory. They're literally on, literally on the precipice of the greatest victory. And they fled. They fled. Why? They fled because they could not see what Jesus had been telling them for three years. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see it enough to make it their expectation. That's a dangerous place to be. Do we believe Jesus or not? Do we believe what he said or not? It's as simple as that. See, now in their, in their case, they fled out of fear. Now, beautifully, that didn't change God's will, it just gave them a few tough days. <laughs> Because what ended up happening was three days later he rose from the grave. And he changed their whole perspective. Their whole perspective on everything that they had seen. It then became clear to them. Look at the difference in Peter from when, before Jesus rose from the grave to after he rose from the grave. He's a different guy. He's a totally different guy. Read read about his life throughout the scriptures and you'll see he, he was kind of a kind of a open mouth insert foot guy. Right? Before the resurrection. And then he became this amazing powerhouse of faith. We have to be careful to let The victories become discouragement. I I don't know why it works this way. Except the the fact that Satan does not want the victory. You know, should it surprise us that he's going to hit us the hardest after a victory? See, normally in a human thought process, we think, In victory, the enemy defeats to kind of regroup. Right, that That's our thought process. That's what we would do. That's what happens in, in this physical world. But see, that doesn't work with Satan. <laughs> Satan knows that in that victory, there's victory, there's nothing he can do about it. But I'll tell you what he's afraid of. He's afraid of the very faith that brought on that victory in the first place would be compounded upon itself later on. Because that's something he can't deal with. He cannot deal with a group of people that just say, yes, Lord, to no matter what happens, no matter what the case is, no matter the path that they're to walk on, they just say, yes, your will, God, your will. Satan can't deal with that. Why? Because he's not that powerful. So much of Satan's power is intimidation. So much of the power that he gains is through the authority that we give him. So he has to attack it. You ever, you ever go and, and you kind of look back on, on your life and you see these mountain peaks and valleys, mountain peaks and valleys, and we talk about that. You know, there's a lot of cliches built off that. Well, God really teaches us in the valleys. Boy, that's come out of my mouth hundreds of times. Well, thank God for the valleys because that's where He teaches us to be with Him. And that's true. But you know what? I want to learn on the mountaintop. I want to learn to maintain the faith that it took to have that incredible victory. I want to learn how to maintain that faith. Because, see, those are just the foothills. If you look beyond the foothills, what, what do you see? You see the mountains. In Colorado, which is where God lives, <laughs> see, you see the front range, and it is all the foothills. But from your perspective, those are the mountains. And yet, they might be seven, 8,000 feet you get beyond that front range and you really start to see the mountains. And you see they get up over 14,000 feet. It makes those first mountains look small. And that's what God wants us to understand. He doesn't want us to have to keep going down into the valley to learn something, just to go up the mountain again. He wants us to understand that he wants that faith to be maintained so we can, he could take us up different mountains. Because see, he has a job for us to do. This readying of the bride, which it's time, by the way, I, I, I want to encourage you. I, I thought this might have been what he was going to have me teach on today, but he didn't. Isaiah 45, I want you to read that this week. And it's all about Cyrus, and, and we've talked about how Cyrus is 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 just this parallel to Donald Trump, who is the 45th president, and we, we've gone through all that. But there's something in there I never noticed before. Read it. There's something in there that is promised to Cyrus that never happened. I'll leave you that teaser. Because I believe it's going to happen now. I believe it ties in with Revelation 3.9, the readying of the bride. But see, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that God has to do through people, through His bride, to ready His bride. He will not just do it Externally if you're waiting for Him just to do in His life whatever He wants so, so you could just be ready without you doing anything, you're, you're going to be sitting for a long time. He needs our agreement. He needs us to say, Your will, and to start to see that this world is not what we think it is. This world is not the end all. This is the training ground. This is the battlefield. This is where we say, your will be done no matter what. Doesn't matter what I have to go through. Your will be done. That's what this world is. And in that, we have hope. In that, we have hope of coming through these distractions after a victory and saying, no. I will not be distracted. I will not be discouraged. I know the enemy is trying to hide from me the very things that will keep me in that level of faith. And I will not allow that to be done. Why? Because I trust you, Lord. I will put myself around people that can lift me up. I will put myself around people that go through the same things and have the same strengths that went through the same victory. And collectively, we will not allow the discouragement to stay. Because we want to reach the higher peaks. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to be available to Him. We want Him to develop in us the very tools that He wants to use. And discouragement just sets us back from that. We don't have to give in to discouragement, guys. We don't have to give in to the unknown. Why? Because He's already said He's told us things of what would happen. He's told us in His Word how much He loves us. He's told us in His Word what He would be doing with the bride. Even in the physicality of this world, He's told us that. Don't think for a moment that because you're discouraged, you got left behind in that. There's no such thing as Him leaving you behind. It only really boils down to you leaving yourself behind. And that comes from listening to the enemy. That comes from listening to to Satan saying, yeah, you're all alone. You know, just, just be afraid because he used you for that victory, but that's over now. There's no other victories around the corner. Man, don't let him do that to you recognize, recognize what Jesus is doing in you and what he's promised to do in you. If you don't know, man, dig in his word. You have no excuse. You each have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, come to me. I'll get you a Bible. (laughs) There's no excuse not to be digging in his word and saying, wait a second, Lord. I shouldn't be discouraged because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I shouldn't be discouraged because you wrote a book about me before I was ever born. And all these good things that you have planned for me. I shouldn't be discouraged because you have allowed relationship to be built with God. Do you understand the preciousness of that? You don't just have to be in some religion living by a bunch of statutes, he opened himself up to relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. This is the same God, by the way, that Israel feared. He said, by my Son, I give you relationship. Jesus said, if we're in Jesus, we're in the Father because Jesus is in the Father. So we don't have to be defeated in discouragement. Don't let the external things make you feel that way. I know so many of us have family that are are not saved or family that think we're off a rocker. Don't let the external things dictate what God is doing in your life. Because there always have to be those Davids There always have to be those Elishas, the Elijahs, the Moseses, that step out in faith no matter what they deal with. And they just give God their yes. That's how he begins the process of change. Not just change in your life, but change in your surroundings. Change in the people around you ultimately changing the bride. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you, Father, and praise you, Lord. I thank you, God, that you give us the tools. You give us the pathways to step in faith and not have to live defeated lives. Father, I thank you that you know us. That you know us in our infirmity. You know us in our weakness. You said in our weakness you're made strong. God, oftentimes we have to live in that weakness. I think of Carson this morning who ever since the victory of Friday night, has consistently gotten worse day by day. And this is the first thing he's been able to come to, able not to come to. But Father, help us to see that our physicality and, and the, the things going on around us do not dictate the victory. The victory is ours because the victory is yours. I declare that, Father, in Jesus' name. And Father, I ask that you would remember that we are but dust. And remember the things that we deal with physically. I pray for Carson. I pray for so many others, for Minetta, for Angela. I know since Friday, Alexis has been dealing with such difficulty with her stomach. I just remind you, Father, as you said to do in Isaiah 43, I remind you that we are but dust. And I pray, Lord, for such a power to fall, power of your Holy Spirit to fall on each one of those, to secure their ability to move forward. We are confident that you will do this because you have said. We will not be discouraged or dismayed out of fear or out of selfishness or out of not understanding what you have said because your promises are true. We believe it. I declare it. We thank you for them. You have declared that Carson will be healed. You have declared that these others will be healed. Father, we stand in absolute faith. Absolute faith to that regard. We will not waver. I ask, Father, that through our faith... you bring a shame to the enemy. That you bring a shame to his attempts. For we trust you, and we will continue to trust you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
1: You know, one of the victories that he talked about we had Friday night, Good Friday, and um, I was thinking about what we did that, that night. Remember, we had everybody signed up. Peter coordinated a prayer hour that each of us, you know, signed up, and some of us did two and three at the same hour and prayed together on the prayer call, and one thing I thought was interesting as it pertains to the message this morning is, you know, there are times when we have to have rest when we sleep. And we can count on somebody else picking up the ball. Because as we know, when we were fighting this witchcraft and, and all of this, um, the, this human sacrifices that is a celebratory time of Good Friday, um, we were covering time zones that we would normally have been sleeping here in America. And it's just like that, spiritually speaking, in terms of, of the concept of helping one another and, and being there for one another. We need hearts of an intercessor for one another. We need to intercede on behalf of others in prayer because there are times when, and and I'm thankful that God's allowed it in our marriage to where when he is going through a time where he just needs to, he's just battle weary, especially coming back uh, from Africa. We either have those who intercede for us if we're there together, but oftentimes we'll struggle differently at different levels of intensity to where we can pray for one another. There've been very, very few times where we've been equally just flat out, you know, laid out. And it's so that we can notice, um, because we're the closest to each other in, in our lives. Um, But that's really, really important. Now, one of the things that Ignition has is we have resources. We have that nightly prayer call. There is nothing more powerful than that opportunity to gather and hear your brothers and sisters praying together. It draws you into the presence of God after a a distracting, difficult day. It just kind of anchors you, anchors your thoughts from just the crazy of the day back to God. We also have the the God Squad, you know, the messenger, Facebook messenger. But I got to tell you, if we don't get... This down spiritually. Um, there are things happening now. I believe God will will replace a way. He will always make a way. But as you, many of you know, Facebook is under attack in, in various areas. As they should be, if there's corruption within some of the rankings, there's a, there's a whole hearings and stuff coming up with uh, with Zuckerberg and all that. There may not be an existing freedom. You, we don't know what the future is going to look like in terms of the use of messenger and some of these things. We've got to have the heart of an intercessor even without some of these conveniences. Let's not take for granted what we have right now. Putting out a, a need for prayer, praying for one another, lifting one another up, that has to be a regular part of what we do in ignition. We've got to intercede for one another. That is what helps. And, and, you know, when you're really seeking God, If we're all, you know, if if every one of us is focused here, do you know that God will lay on our hearts the people that need the prayer? So I might have Beth heavy on my heart, not necessarily always knowing that she needs to be interceded for in prayer because she needs to be restored after something she went through. So when we're walking in that concept of fellowship with one another and and Mm -hmm. connecting in the body of Christ... And also seeking God simultaneously, he will put people on our mind to build us up. And it might not be somebody we know that well. He might lay a, a face on your name. Maybe maybe some of us, we, we, you know, as one of the college kids, he'll lay on our hearts and we'll think, I can't remember their name, but Lord, I want to, I want to just lift them up right now and pray for them. Listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Because um, it, it is so true, the power of your Christian walk in victory alone versus in community. Yeah. In, in the not forsaking the assembly is such a stark difference, especially as we've been learning about the, the concept of the courts of heaven. If you're going to court, if somebody's coming after you unjustly trying to sue you for something nuts, if you go into court with 25 character witnesses, that speaks volumes to the judge yeah. or the jury or whatever you're dealing with that, that's going to render a, a verdict against your your case. That is prayer. That is the intercession of prayer. The more people you have praying for you, the more people you have bearing witness for, on your behalf of your heart, of your desire to be free of this attack against you. We need this. But some of us get walled off with this deceptive discouragement, this deceptive, nobody likes me, I'm better off without people. And I'm telling you, there are people all across the, the country that think they can do church in just their secret place. Is that important? Yes, it's important. But we've got to be in connection with fellowship, in fellowship with one another. And that has been the hardest paradigm because one of the things that God taught me in Ignition, I've always been around people. But God really, really took me from the difference of being around people and allowing people to actually speak into and invest in and forcing a transparency on me that my heart always wanted but that I just didn't have capacity for. I did not know how to be vulnerable to that level. I did not know how to let people in. I just thought being around people was enough, and it's not. And are there battles along the way? Relationships? I mean, when you're interacting, with, when your junks interacting with somebody else's junk, it can be junky. It can be difficult. But God works in such beautiful ways when we with one another. We talked about this a little bit in the ladies' class this morning, you know, showing grace. ...over each other. It is so important, and there is great power in this battle, because all of us have the same enemy. And I would dare say, that's the sad thing about why churches won't play together. We all have the same enemy, but we act as though we're in a totally different battle, Mm -hmm. and we're not. Satan has turned us on one another, and we are going to be defeated, just like the armies of Jehoshaphat. God turned them on each other for the defeat. And, and that's what's happening now to the bride. So many of them are turning on each other rather than looking to the author and finisher of their faith, recognizing that while there are differences, it's the same God we serve. Yes. And so this is such an important thing because it really is a remedy to the discouragement that we feel. We all need time. It's like it's like the parallel with the human body. We, we have our day, and then we... We get to where, okay, now it's time to sleep. I need sleep. We can't always be alert and on 24 seven. There are times where we need rest and recuperation and God protects. But those times when we're, when we're at rest, you know, there are t- other times people are awake and they're praying. And that's what's a beautiful thing about this 24 hour a day God squad. You know, there are people that request prayer. Brynn actually put something out at 2 a.m. about Carson's being just nauseous and not getting better you know for whoever for whoever whether it's somebody that's woken out of their sleep with the little ping of the messenger or somebody that's working because of their night shift you know that that's a beautiful resource to have because there are times when you're awake at two or at three and you don't know why but god knows why it's because you're supposed to be praying for somebody and if you'll just say lord who am i supposed to pray for every single time you wake up inexplicably in the middle of the night ask god say god why say, God, who, who can I bring before the Lord? You know, because you pray for yourself. But in this discouragement, and I'm so glad he mentioned selfishness because this has been something the Lord works on me. He gets me so distracted with my own things coming against me that perpetuate more discouragement, that that's also what keeps me from interceding for you. Mm -hmm. And so if we're all wrapped up in our own stuff and not interceding for one another, whereas the prayer that he lays on my heart would be maybe the breakthrough for Joey okay, the prayer on Joey's heart for Casey might be the breakthrough for Casey. We work together. We've got to learn that paradigm. It is a foreign concept in churches. People come, they bring their Bibles, they get their God on in their seat, they're out the door. They may give a little hi and a little hug, you know, and, and they just are just so loving, so wonderful, and they leave. And, and they're just empty and void of what the true fellowship is. Yeah. And um, sick. Sadly, that leads to a lot of plastic behavior, which is why then people have some plastic encounters and then they get walled off because of that encounter. And Satan just weaves this web of, of, I don't like church fellowship, so I'm just going to chuck it. I I can do better in my own secret place. And and that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's a deception and a a way to perpetuate isolation. And as soon as Satan has you isolated, you're a prime target for discouragement and and going into the valley. So um, the thing that I'm... I want to encourage you to do, I don't know what happened this morning, because we were not online. We were unable to be online, and and I'm just heavy hearted about that, but we do have the podcast that will be available, so uh, we want to encourage you, we're going to put something on there that it is available, today's message in podcast, but I know there are some that were asking what's going on this morning, and we had some technical difficulties, so be praying about that, um, that uh, this is a message so needed, and this is not the message Satan wants to get out there. Because there are many that are not even, they don't even understand that they're discouraged. They're just chugging along and things just feel a little dull and a little empty. And, you know, there's no reason we could—we need to lose our passion. Passion can be something you can wake up with every single day. But it has to be with truth above our circumstances and our physicality of our bodies. Because our bodies will fail us. Our circumstances will not work out well. But who God is and and where we are in in our spirit and all the spiritual blessings, they never change. They never change. They're always available. So thank you so much. That was so, so good and so weird how it works in tandem with the ladies' class downstairs. Um, I do want to give you... um,